0: day, I'd like to welcome you to our Teaching Bystander Rescue Care program. This is our high-performing webinar for this month by the TMIT Global Research Testbed. Uh, and we're very excited to have you attend uh, uh, with us today. I'm Charles Denham. I'll be your MC today and uh, try to keep us uh, totally on time. Um, our, we're focused on the leading causes of death for which bystander care can save lives. There are more than 100,000 lives that can be saved by those that are not medically trained, but can learn bystander rescue, bystander rescue care. Uh, we have had the blessing of being able to work for many, many months with a number of uh, top leaders around the country and major medical centers and undertook a thousand worker study that were essential workers. And we're building on the shoulders of that through a program that we started back in 2015. So our focus is... Uh, Today, what do we want you to know? That's head, heart, what do we want you to feel? Hands, what do we want you to do? And voice, what do we want you to say after you've seen this program? Uh, From the head standpoint, we want you to understand the latest and best tips from our experts on how to teach bystander rescue care, heart, I think that uh, I'm more and more joyful as I work with with this new material about how we can use stories to move people to action. And then hands are the actions that we would take in case of emergencies, those of us at higher ed, in schools, faith-based organizations, medical centers, Um, and then voices, we want you to share with others the opportunity. Now, today is not a high level um, inspirational talk with only a few uh, topics. Uh, This is a deep dive on a grid that we are building out in very great detail on a number of these areas uh, for which we need bystander rescue care. We're gonna take each one of the rows of sudden cardiac arrest, choking, anaphylaxis, drowning, poisoning, um, major trauma and bleeding, concussions, transportation accidents, and bullying, we will take those areas that we've been working on for the last, uh, uh, since 2015, actually, the last eight years, and focus on awareness, accountability, ability and action, and focus on what students can do, educators, coaches, parents, and organizations. And so uh, we'll be making a uh, taking a deep dive Uh, on this. Uh, We're very blessed to have uh, uh, Jennifer Dingman, who will be with us. Uh, She, in case her internet uh, uh, connection was not great, she recorded uh, her open for us, and she'll be with us as a reactor as well. Uh, Jenny is a longstanding patient safety advocate. Uh, We're almost at 200 months in a row that we've run these webinars. And for many of them, she was the opening speaker. We always try to have somebody representing a family, a patient family um, that will help us focus on what uh, we are to do. She's got kids, she's got kids that have been students. This is a, a major focus area for us. So we'll have Jenny open us.
1: Thank you, Dr. Denham for your kind introduction. Today's program is very, very important very important that we all know how to rescue somebody from dire straits and bad things when they happen. I'm very anxious to hear our speakers and all of the advice given here. I'd like to thank everyone for being here, and I'll turn it back over to you, Dr. Denham. Thank you.
0: And we really appreciate Jenny. She is a winner of the 2018 uh, Pete Conrad Global Patient Safety Award, uh, uh, as is uh, Chief Adcox, who's one of our speakers today. We have a number of speakers. Some are recorded. Uh, some will be on our long version for the we- for the long-term uh, online content, on-demand content and our podcast. Uh, Others are live today. We're so blessed to have Randy Steiner, who's the emergency uh, response leader for the University of California in Irvine, who we work very closely with, who we're undertaking R&D with, and who is also uh, an instructor of bystander rescue care, not only CPR, uh, but response to emergencies, and as well uh, is uh, also an instructor with uh, the American College of Surgeons with Stop the Bleed. We also have uh, Chief Uh, Bill Adcox, who is the uh, chief security officer uh, and chief of police of the uh, police department at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, who will also be with us live today. And we have recordings of the other speakers that you see before you, including Dr. Greg Boats, who we recorded last night, who's in ICU. Every Thursday, he's in ICU, so we have to record him. And in our longer version, we will have Nanette Hausman, who is a champion of uh, saving the lives of our college students. Nicole Hughes, who is a mom of a medical family who lost her son to drowning at age four. Dr. Gladstone McDowell, who is who is a specialist of four specialties, now practicing pain management, but has been a urologic oncologist trained at the MD Anderson, where I, I trained in radiation oncology. He's a, a, a urologic oncologist, as well as pain management and anesthesia expert. Michael Dorn is the leading expert, actually, in schools not only in the area of active shooter events, but other areas uh, of threats. Uh, Charlie Denham is uh, the leader of our student, high school and college student team. He's also my son. He's also experienced three near-death experiences in the subject matter areas that we're focused on today will be in recording as will David Gunsfelder, who's on our uh, so, uh, young adult team addressing opioids. And then finally, uh, Mr. David Bash, who has been teaching our MedTech bystander rescue care program uh, since uh, 2015 and saved the first life. He learned a technique on a Thursday and on this next Saturday, two days later, he saved a life. Um, for those of you that are, co- are online, um, who are uh, live, but don't have the slides, go to www.safetyleaders.org. And you'll be able to find us by clicking on the area in the upper right-hand quadrant of the uh, the, the web page. And for those of you that are in the podcast and would like access to the full videos to watch them, or also uh, download other resources, and we'll be posting a number of articles as we move forward with the topics. You can go to www.safetyleaders.org and find the today's webinar. I'm going to be really brief in my introductory remarks because we have a lot of a lot to cover. But our work is uh, we started before COVID focusing on the emerging threats, emerging threats that are keeping our healthcare leaders up at night. But we've expanded this community of practice to focus on 30 topical areas uh, to higher education and to schools. And I won't list them, but you may see them on the slides. And today we're going to be talking about preventable harm and preventable deaths. However, there are 30. And in the months to come, we'll be covering a number of areas such as insider Threats, cybersecurity, lethal force, in, and active shooter events, and a number of others. There's an introductory video at the at GlobalPatientSafetyForum.org that you'll be able to watch, and we won't uh, we won't uh, take up your time today. We're also going to be more active on social media, uh, and our addresses uh, uh, are will be in the slide deck. We just want to always set our course by stating that our purpose here is that we will measure our success by how we protect and enrich the lives of families, patients, and caregivers. And you'll see our closing slide is everyone is a patient and everyone can be a caregiver, and you don't need medical training to do that. Our mission is to accelerate performance solutions that save lives, save money, and create value in the communities we serve. And although we probably fail every day, we attempt uh, to live our core values of integrity, compassion, accountability, reliability, and entrepreneurship, which are our core values. And our disclosure... Uh, Disclosures of speakers, no one uh, has anything to disclose regarding uh, pharmaceutical or device uh, products or services to healthcare. Uh, And you may see our uh, financial disclosure statement on slide 15, no direct or indirect or affiliated financial support has ever been or ever will be provided by healthcare, pharmaceutical or device companies, just to kind of clear that. For those of you that haven't been with us before, um, over the years, we've worked on a number of projects. And over that time, have aggregated uh, approximately 3,100 hospitals and 3,000 communities for which we've been uh, serving in the area of patient safety and quality. And we've been just so blessed to have more than 500 subject matter experts who have all joined us, all contributed their time with no compensation uh, for the community. And um, we, uh, over the last um, 36 months, actually, or 35 months, we've been working in this area of the coronavirus with the community of practice. And you can go on our website to see some of the work that we have undertaken, more than 30 90-minute programs, and we've served a number of the major medical centers and essential workers. And again, I I, I will not uh, dwell on it. We have a young adult team that are comprised of high school, college, and young adults uh, uh, up to age 30, 31, 32 years of age, who are really helping us address their constituencies. Uh, Others want to, uh, they want to hear from people at their age group. And so focusing on opioids and a whole host of other areas, they're ideal. So our focus is on increasing the high performance safety zone of organizations, of our families, of our community, by being able to address the threats, inside threats and outside threats. How do you do that? you reduce your vulnerability to those threats. So as we focused on the 30 areas, approximately 30 areas uh, of emerging threats, one of them is a major area and that's preventable death or injury of our students, our staff uh, and our families. And so over the last uh, months, uh, we've been focused on kind of uh, digging back into that after the COVID crisis. And the focus areas that you see on your screen now and those on the, on the um, podcast, cardiac arrest, choking and drowning, opioid overdose, anaphylaxis, which is life-threatening allergies to uh, medications, insect bites, and food. Major trauma, including uh, major bleeding and concussions, infection care, transportation accidents, and bullying. And we have uh, six articles that have been published in the Campus Safety Magazine, which you can download from our website, um, and two more in the pipeline, likely to be 10. So that brings us to the really dramatic uh, issue that we think is really important. Uh, for those that are listening, we have a very busy eye chart graphic, but it actually maps out the causes of uninvent- unintentional death that were reported in 2016 from data that was from 2013 for for everyone under age of one to plus 85 years of age. And no big surprise that motor vehicle accidents and opioid uh, overdoses were pretty big as were falls in the older age group. The shocker was that when you look at the data from 2020, the enormous growth of uh, opioids uh, in um, our children, in our adolescents from age 15, through 24, but also enormous growth in 25 to 64. In fact, we've updated a video we'll show today uh, on opioids because the numbers are getting so worse, so much worse, and so fast. Uh, the progression is going so quickly that we had to update them, as well as on a number of other uh, uh, topics such as uh, uh, cannabis. Uh, overdoses of THC, as well as uh, vaping and the dangers uh, to our students from from those. So I ask uh, Dr. Boats to kind of open for us uh, regarding why this bystander care is so important. And he's in ICU today and recorded this last night. Dr. Boats, what's your call to action for those that we're trying to reach to learn how to uh, properly teach bystander rescue care?
2: Well, I think the overarching principle is that the techniques, the skills that we use in bystander rescue care are easy to teach to people from any background or any educational level. It's a, it's a combination of teaching people how to recognize the problem and then what simple interventions to do to provide care until professional first responders arrive. Dr.
0: Boats, you've shared with us the concept of deliberative practice. Do you want to describe that for us?
2: Well, absolutely. Deliberate practice is a technique or an approach to education uh, to improve the retention and the ability to use those skills. We know in education that uh, depending on how you learn, um, the information or the skill may be perishable. It may last a couple of weeks or maybe a month or two, but not for a prolonged period of time, unless you do it frequently. And so the idea of deliberate practice is to take a skill or a knowledge set that's learned and use it on a regular basis, deliberately to master the activity, to maintain ready to use that skill, that knowledge, that ability when it's necessary to do so. It's like training that athletes do, that law enforcement does, the military does. They do it on a regular basis to stay ready to provide whatever skill is necessary when it's appropriate.
0: Dr. Boats, we talk about three minutes from drop to shock and three minutes from gunshot to stop the bleed. Your tips regarding how important it is to have rescue gear nearby?
2: Well, it's certainly true that some of the major injuries like active external bleeding or cardiac arrest, opiate overdose, anaphylaxis, are all time sensitive activities. Once the malady is recognized, it should be addressed immediately to try to reduce the likelihood of a bad outcome, death or serious injury. And so having the equipment that you need to provide that care nearby Um, makes the likelihood that bystanders can provide the care that's needed uh, in a time that will offer the victim the best chance at a good outcome. So having an AED within three minutes of a cardiac arrest victim allows you to go and get the AED and go back to the victim and provide defibrillation, if it's appropriate, in the amount of time that will reduce the likelihood of a bad outcome. In cardiac arrest, we think about mortality or survival decreasing about 10% every minute that um, CPR and defibrillation aren't provided.
0: Well, Dr. Boats, thank you for being our clinical lead and keeping us up on the ever-changing science regarding uh, these critical care uh, concepts and skills and by state of rescue care, because the science really is uh, evolving, isn't it?
2: Well, that's for sure. You know, as we go forward, we learn more and more about these uh, threats to our kids. And we learn more and more about the science behind why they are so deadly. And we develop technologies or techniques that are more effective at managing or reversing these life threatening problems to avoid our kids from harm. Thank you, Dr. Boats. Thank you.
0: So Dr. Boats uh, has uh, been our clinical uh, champion. Dr. Boats is uh, not only a critical care, uh, board certified critical care doctor and anesthesiologist. He's also on faculty at Stanford uh, Medical School as well as the University of Texas MD Anderson and really takes care of the sickest patients that we have. The other thing to know about him is he also is a master trainer. He trains the instructors. He trained me as a CPR first aid instructor so that I was certified with the American Heart Association. He also is a trainer of those that uh, are involved in Stop the Bleed with the American College of Surgeons. And a number of us are certified uh, to do that. And we really, he's our go-to on the, much uh, much of the updated information uh, that we share with you. He has helped synthesize and understand. So as as we look, and those of you that are listening, as we look at the causes of death in the 15 to 24 age group, motor vehicle accidents actually uh, um, diminished to some degree within an expansion of drugs and alcohol. And we also know that the second leading cause of death is drowning in children, and the first uh, cause of death or leading cause of death in children from one to four um when we look at the 15 to 24 age group and in our webinar last uh, last month we covered uh the adolescent brain and the the fact that the brain matures, especially the risk center um, matures in the brain at about age 24, 25, uh, we know that there are significant risks that are taken. And a lot of uh, our leaders that work in research in this area are saying that many of the accidents that occur uh, are really bad decisions. And if our adolescents think twice about the risk, they're less less likely to uh, make bad choices. What's even better is if we educate them to teach bystander rescue care and focus on the eight areas of cardiac arrest and poisoning from um, these substances that they're really exposed to, major bleeding that could be part of car accidents. Transportation includes e-bikes, and we're gonna cover that today. Um, choking and drowning, and then anaphylaxis, and it's kind of shocking how many people don't have EpiPens with them. Infections beyond just COVID, and these would be infections we get from cuts and other things, and bullying, which is a, a, a very, uh, a major area. So when we look at the eye chart, that's down a, a very small point size, but covers everything on a one page, on one page, Uh, and we look at the focus areas of cardiac arrest, choking, anaphylaxis, drowning, poisoning, bleeding, and concussions, as well as transportation accidents. And because one in 25 suicide attempts uh, uh, are successful, you have 24 out of 25 people likely did something that potentially diminished the oxygenation to their organs. Virtually every one of the areas on our grid Uh, applies to or is impacted by cardiac effectiveness, the ability to exchange oxygen with carbon dioxide in the lungs uh, and deliver that oxygen to the brain. So when we, worked, uh, we began working on our MedTech program, since uh, what we wanted to do was get people up to speed very quickly on all of the areas simultaneously, not just CPR for heart, not just anaphylaxis with allergies, not just bleeding that surgeons would address, we realized that the final common pathway is the same. And so I'm gonna show you a video that really explains why we challenge you those of you that are educators, clinical people, teachers, pastors, we have a lot of people in faith-based organizations, to become instructors and to not only be instructors of CPR, which is not that hard to learn to be as an instructor, but also get those in your in your group to, that can apply for uh, uh, the instructor status for Stop the Bleed. You realize that these areas are all integrated, and why the heck did not, didn't somebody integrate them earlier? I don't know, but we decided let's tackle them together because they're one final common pathway and we'll show a, a video uh, about that. We will address the key aspects of the cardiorespiratory system, the brain function and the circulatory system to describe why bystander care is so vital to surviving sudden cardiac arrest, choking and drowning. The two questions to run on as we address how the heart, lungs, brain, and circulatory system operate are, why must action be taken before professional first responders arrive? And what is the final common pathway for harm when there is no bystander care?
3: A hands-only CPR training kiosk, just like this one, saved my life. In only a few minutes, someone just like you learned the valuable skill of hands-only CPR. And I am here today because he took the time to stop and learn. Three days after Matt learned hands-only CPR, I was on my college campus walking in a parking lot where I was struck by lightning. I went into cardiac arrest. I don't remember anything about the event. I just know I woke up in the hospital. On April 4th, 2015, I had a three-hour layover at the Dallas-Fort Worth International Airport. I saw this kiosk in the terminal, and I decided to give it a try. By the time I completed the training, I was confident that I had learned the proper way to do chest compressions. I'll never forget that day. I walked up to a crowd of people, and no one knew what to do. I found out later that people don't often perform CPR because they're afraid or don't know what to do. Someone asked if I knew CPR, and fortunately, I could say yes. It was a scary scene but I recalled what I learned in the airport a few days earlier. Someone else had already called 911, so I put one hand in the center of Sean's chest and put my other hand on top of the first. I pushed down hard and fast until help arrived. I'm so glad he took the time to stop at that kiosk. My story would have turned out much differently if I did not get immediate hands-only CPR from Matt. A cardiac arrest outside the hospital can occur without warning. I certainly didn't think it would ever happen to me but I'm so grateful the American Heart Association is making life-saving education like this available to the public through the hands-only CPR training kiosk. Take a few minutes to learn now. You could make a difference and save the life of a stranger or someone you love.
0: Sudden cardiac arrest, choking, and drowning are some of the most common high-impact health hazard events you will ever encounter. All of them lead to harm through a final common pathway of starvation of oxygen to our vital organs through impact on the heart, lungs, circulation, and brain. Humans automatically breathe 12 to 20 times per minute around the clock. The vital respiratory system supplies life-sustaining oxygen to our bodies and removes the waste product of carbon dioxide. Understanding the critical components of the respiratory system is key to performing the MedTAC bystander care lifeline behaviors that can save lives. Respiration happens automatically. Every day the body breathes about 20,000 times. By the time we reach 70 years of age, that's about 600 million breaths. All this breathing occurs through the respiratory system including the nose, throat, voice box, windpipe, and lungs. The uppermost level of the respiratory system are the nostrils that bring air into the nose where it's filtered, warmed, and moistened. Tiny hairs called cilia protect the nasal passageways and the other parts of the respiratory tract and filter out dust and other particles that enter the nose through the inspired air. Air could also be breathed in through the mouth. The two airways of the nose and mouth meet up in the pharynx which is located at the back of the throat. The pharynx carries both food and air and is used for digestion and respiration. One path is for food and this is called the esophagus which leads to the stomach. The other side is for air called the trachea. A small flap of tissue called the epiglottis covers the air only passage when we swallow. This stops food and liquid from going into the lungs. It is in the pharynx where food can be lodged causing choking and where swelling caused by allergic reactions during life-threatening anaphylaxis can close off the airway. The larynx or voice box is located at the top of the trachea, the air only pipe. This is where our vocal cords are. When air cannot move through the larynx, we cannot speak, which is why choking victims and some suffering anaphylaxis cannot speak when bystanders try to help them. The trachea windpipe, which is a 2 to 3 centimeter tube, then extends downwards from the bottom of the larynx for about 12 centimeters. The walls of the windpipe are made strong by stiff rings of cartilage that keep it open. The trachea is also lined with tiny hairs that sweep foreign particles and fluids out of the airway, keeping them from entering the lungs. The windpipe divides into two branches, and each one of these enters one of the two lungs of the body. Each branch resembles the limbs of a tree dividing into smaller, finer branches called bronchioles. The bronchioles end in tiny air sacs called alveoli, which look a bit like grapes. These structures enable fresh air to get into the air sacs which are surrounded by tiny blood vessels or capillaries. The oxygen passes through these air sacs and travels through the capillary walls into the bloodstream. At the same time, carbon dioxide transfers from the bloodstream into the air sacs where it is expelled from the body. When we exercise, the body needs more oxygen to feed the muscles. The heart extracts all of the oxygen that it is provided through the blood. As the muscles work harder, the body responds by breathing more quickly and more deeply. As the cells of the muscles use up more oxygen, the lungs have to work harder to keep up the supply. The respiratory system then speeds up to supply the body with the much needed oxygen and also gets rid of the carbon dioxide waste in the system. Over time, exercising also helps our chest cavity get bigger, which enables the body to increase the amount of air it takes in. More capillaries form around the air sacs, so that the body gets better at swapping oxygen and carbon dioxide gases. The driving mechanism for respiration comes from an area of the brain that is susceptible to the impact of opioid overdoses. When an opioid overdose occurs, the heart may still beat for a time, however the breathing may have stopped. In this scenario, patients need someone to breathe for them and the opioid reversal agent called Narcan. When bystanders and professional first responders perform rescue breathing during CPR, administer epinephrine through auto-injectors such as EpiPens to combat swelling from anaphylaxis, and use Narcan to reverse opioid overdoses, the goal is the same, to make sure that the oxygen and carbon dioxide gas exchange occurs well enough to keep the patient alive. These lifeline behaviors are vital, life-saving methods that can save lives before professional first responders arrive. so uh, the purpose for us showing you that video is just to let you know that will be on our website for those of you that want to start training people and uh and and move forward so I'm going to cover cardiac arrest, choking and drowning, uh, and anaphylaxis. And then I'm going to have uh, Chief Adcox and uh, Randy Steiner react and give you their messages specifically about why you should get involved in training and their tips. But basically, as we look at sudden cardiac arrest, and those that are on the podcast, I'd suggest you download the, the slides. But we have about a 1,000 a, a, a sudden cardiac uh, arrests a day the leading cause of death in student athletes, which I'll show in a minute. And it's absolutely critical that everyone learns CPR, how to use an AED. And on the slide that we're showing, we show the various places you can get the training. And Randy, when I come to you and I come to Chief, uh, we're recommending that people get BLS, basic life support training, which is a level up from what we used to do, which is heart saver. What this allows us to do is to be able to have two-man rescues actually use the bag, the BVM bag, and actually protect ourselves from COVID and be much more successful probably at saving lives, especially in children and those that are drowning. So uh, the, the, the capsule of what I want to share with you is we highly recommend students Educators, coaches, parents, and organizations focus on uh, CPR and AED, uh, and um, two-man rescue, and practice it with what Dr. Boat says: deliberate practice. Um, uh, the BLS is basic life support, as I've stated. And on slide 33, you can read in more detail why uh, what you're getting is a little more comprehensive training. And actually, it's just an extra hour. So for those of us that instruct it, it's really just an extra 45 minutes or an hour, but I think the payoff is enormous. So what we're doing now with scouts and coaches uh, and uh, educators is uh, we're, uh, we're telling them, let's do BLS. And we figured out how to do It, which we'll share in our discussion section, Uh, we'll explain to you uh, how we do that over the web uh, during a COVID. If there was another COVID lockdown, we learned how to do it and and we could do it totally over the web, tested it, made it work. I'm going to show a short video that is totally updated as of this week on the issues regarding sudden death in young people and why that's important. And you'll see uh, the recent NFL player uh, and the condition that he had
4: from the t- heart tackle he had to the chest.
0: Most sudden cardiac deaths are in older adults, especially those with heart disease. Yet sudden cardiac arrest is the leading cause of death in young athletes. Some conditions that can lead to sudden cardiac death in young people are thickened heart muscle, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. The most common cause is this genetic condition that causes the heart muscle to grow too thick. The thickening makes it hard for the heart to pump blood and can cause fast heartbeats. This thickening can be picked up on cardiac screening through ultrasound. Second are heart rhythm disorders. Long QT syndrome is a heart rhythm condition that can cause fast, chaotic heartbeats. It's linked to unexplained fainting. Other heart rhythm disorders can cause sudden cardiac death including Brugada syndrome and Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome. This can be picked up on cardiac screening through electrocardiograms. The third are caused by a blunt chest injury. A hard hit to the chest that causes sudden cardiac death is called commodiocortis, a blow to the chest that can trigger ventricular fibrillation if it strikes at a specific time in the signaling cycle. Commotio cortis is what happened to Damar Hamlin, who is very fortunate to have had CPR started immediately and to have the benefit of an automated external defibrillator to restart the heart.
5: After tackling a Bengals wide receiver in the first quarter, Hamlin stood up and took a few steps before collapsing to the ground. And now another Bills player is down. Doctors from both teams and medics rushed the field, performing CPR for more than 10 minutes.
2: This is the last thing you want to see.
5: Players formed a wall around Hamlin out, as he was treated, many overcome with shock and emotion. Then the Bills knelt to the ground to pray to as the ambulance drove off the field. Hamlin's mom came down from the to ride with him.
0: The fourth cause can be a heart structure problem present at birth, a congenital heart defect. Some people are born with changes in the heart and blood vessels that can reduce blood flow and lead to sudden cardiac death. It's absolutely critical that we consider cardiac screening for our young athletes. And every coach, teacher, referee, and sport event staff member should have recurrent CPR AED training and access to automated external defibrillators at every practice and contest or game. The goal is three minutes from drop to shock. Uh, there are other conditions. Uh, there are other situations where this can happen as well, uh, and uh, we've seen a lot of uh, uh, a wonderful, a number of wonderful of re- wonderful rescues uh, that have occurred uh, uh, with uh, coaches and teachers and a number of folks that have uh, been able to be available. Um, and so uh, as you uh, go ahead through the slides, uh, the slide deck has uh, all of the slides that we have in the video that uh, you heard. And again, we recommend uh, that you uh, download those uh, download those slides. The key is to be able to have three minutes from drop to shock. Uh, and as Dr. Boat said, every minute that passes that survival drops 10%. And another thing people don't realize is that your, your future survival may not be very nice. You may have neurologic deficits and problems there. So our next topic, and again, I'm going to cover uh, choking and anaphylaxis as well before we have our reactors, because they're they're really, they're kind of a, they should be trained together. And they, the final common pathway is that oxygen to the brain. We have about 13 uh, deaths per day. The Heimlich maneuver, developed by Dr. Heimlich in the 70s, is attributed is attributed to have saved at least 100,000 lives, maybe 250,000 lives. Uh, Everyone should learn to recognize choking. It's not just knowing how to give five back blows and then give abdominal thrusts, but it's recognizing when someone is choking. And uh, I, I. Unfortunately, had to save the life of my 16-year-old who was choking on a hot piece of steak this summer. And I'm certain that if I hadn't been teaching Heimlich maneuver over and over month after month since 2015, I'm not sure that I would have been as good at getting it removed. It was very, very uh, uh, tough to remove, and only by multiple thrusts was that possible. So I highly recommend, and we highly recommend students educators, coaches, parents, and organizations, not only learn it, but practice it because it's absolutely uh, critical. We also know that our elder population, the numbers of deaths from choking grow uh, as we age as well. And that's why it's so critical uh, that, we, um, that, that we address this. And uh, we have
4: a short clip of uh, a, a great uh, life-saving set of uh, uh, scenarios. somebody can die and I knew he would be able to help. Chick-fil-A employee
6: Hunter Harris is often the guy his coworkers go to for help. His title after all is team leader but on Saturday his coworkers came to him with a difficult task saving a man's life.
7: I was up here doing my job and uh, and our dining room lady, lady Anita came up to me with urgency and said that there's a man choking in the dining room
6: In this surveillance video, you can see that man getting up from his seat, clearly in need of help. The customer sitting next to him gets up and jumps into action.
1: She was trying really hard, but I think he was maybe too heavy or something. So I ran over there to call Hunter, and he immediately came over here to help.
6: Within seconds, Harris went from team leader to lifesaver. I
7: stepped in. I took care of him. I did what I could do. And, and it all worked out. I just made sure that he was okay. Uh, we got him a fresh meal, and then he just went on his way.
6: Harris's dad, Jamie, who also happens to be the owner of this franchise, says his son's actions don't surprise him. His character should jump in and help when help is needed, and it just, you could see that it was natural for him, so very proud of that.
8: I told him he's a hero.
6: Harris's coworker, Anita Duran, says she immediately thought of him because he saved somebody else before here without a doubt. Good evening, I'm Justin Farmer. I'm Jovita Moore, and we have to show you that video again. Watch the teenager climb through the drive-through window there to save a child in a car who could not breathe. Channel 2 anchor Justin Wilfond is live in Hall County tonight, and Justin, he says he didn't think about what he was doing, he just acted.
9: Jovita, he certainly did all of this in dramatic fashion. When he heard something was wrong here, he jumped out of that drive through window there and jumped into that little boy's car. I'm still kind of shocked right now myself that all this has happened. You could call him the fast food hero. I just jumped out the window and ran straight down to the car. Chick-fil-A gave us this dramatic surveillance video. It shows employee Logan Simmons jumping out the drive through window to try to save a choking child. I think it was the quickest option. Like, it was right there. I saw the car right there. Outside the restaurant, Logan jumped in the child's car in the drive through lane and found the little boy's mother begging for help with her son's seatbelt somehow tangled around his
10: neck. You could see he was turning red and losing pigmentation
9: in his face. Logan pulled out this pocket knife, cut the little boy free, and prevented a possible tragedy.
5: I'm, I'm amazed like he didn't panic as his mother. I would have panicked. I'd have been running around probably going, "Oh my gosh, what do we do?"
9: Logan pulled off his heroics at a chick-fil-a and flowery branch in Hall County on Tuesday afternoon, and just an hour later, the little boy's mother called Logan and thanked him for saving her son's life. I
4: do feel like a hero. Everything happened here inside this restaurant. The
11: unthinkable happened. An employee was working a normal shift when she started choking. I was terrified. I couldn't breathe. Big boy waitress Nicole recalls the life-threatening moments last Friday at her job here in Woodhaven. She was working her regular shift. Things were busy and she was hungry. So she quickly took a bite of the restaurant's famous cornbread before helping a customer. So I heard the bell ding, so I hopped up like I was in like this kind of position or something. And then the cornbread got stuck in my throat. And she started choking. I couldn't talk, I couldn't anything. The video then shows Nicole trying to get her coworkers Shirley attention, waving and punching her several times. You can see Nicole putting her hands up in the air, walking around anything to just breathe then she gave me the Heimlich maneuver wouldn't come out there was an officer somewhere in the restaurant and he came up and gave me the Heimlich maneuver about I don't know seven times maybe local Ford learned he's a Michigan State trooper and was inside the restaurant eating the video shows him patting Nicole on the back trying to get the cornbread to come out restaurant owner Habib Badham says everything happened so fast but so slow at the same time I I was I was freaking out I mean you know something like that it could uh, it was crazy minutes later paramedics arrived but the Heimlich maneuver from both Shirley and trooper Mark Adams worked but when asked would she eat another piece of cornbread yeah it's good cornbread it wasn't dry yeah I love the cornbread just take your time
4: yeah I'll sit down and eat it like you're supposed to (laughs) Even our MedTAC team has experienced the threat of choking
0: and succeeded with the Heimlich maneuver. Just a few feet away from the bystander rescue care station Charlie Denim, our co-founder, installed as his Eagle project, he choked on a hot piece of steak at a fellowship barbecue with his buddies. Had I not been practicing and teaching the Heimlich maneuver so frequently, I'm not sure I would have been able to dislodge that piece of steak and I would have lost my precious son.
4: When something is lodged in someone's throat, the natural response is to cough. If the person is coughing forcefully, he's getting air. Encourage him to keep coughing. If a conscious adult or child can no longer cough, speak, or breathe, he may be choking. Have someone call for help and obtain consent. A conscious adult or child who has a completely blocked airway needs immediate care. Using more than one technique is often necessary to dislodge an object and clear a person's airway. A combination of five back blows followed by five abdominal thrusts provides an effective way to clear the airway obstruction. To avoid injury, never give actual back blows or abdominal thrusts to someone who is not choking. These techniques are simulated for training purposes. Provide support by placing one arm diagonally across the chest. Bend the person forward at the waist so his upper airway is at least parallel to the ground. This will help ensure that the object will not go back down the person's throat. Using the heel of your other hand, give five firm back blows between the shoulder blades. If the five back blows do not clear the airway, give five abdominal thrusts. Standing behind the person, use one or two fingers of one hand to find the navel. Make a fist with your other hand and place the thumb side of your fist just above the navel, in the middle of the person's abdomen. Grab that fist with your other hand. Give five quick upward thrusts. Continue to give five back blows and five abdominal thrusts until the object is dislodged, the person can cough forcefully, speak or breathe, or the person becomes unconscious. If the person becomes unconscious, gently lower him to the ground, protecting his head on the way down. You may need to kneel behind a child to give effective back blows and abdominal thrusts. Do not use as much force with a child.
0: We've shown this video in our prior program regarding choking uh, and we do so to remind everyone that it's absolutely critical uh, that in our vehicles, that now we have the ability to cut seat belts. Uh, uh, I had the, an experience this last year where I had to pull a lady out of a car. Uh, a car accident. The uh, uh, car was burning. Uh, couldn't get under the side airbag and had her seatbelt been locked, uh, I would not have been able to cut that. And so I went through our cars and have added to our emergency kits, both in the consoles and in our emergency kits, uh, a safety cutter to cut the the seatbelt. And and, uh, uh, when we get to you, Randy will ask you to maybe comment on that. Finally, uh, so we keep our pace up, we want to address anaphylaxis. And we'll have longer videotapes for those that wanna watch our extended play on these topics. But we wanna bring up some of the most recent information that's available to us. And anaphylaxis is the life-threatening reaction to medications, insects, or food. Two deaths a day, 2% of our population is at risk. Uh, in at least 25% of our people, they don't know that they were allergic. And we're going to show a little bit of data here in just a minute of the latest data on how frequently we have children in school and we have people in the community without EpiPens. But we want to draw your attention to the organization called FAIR, the Food Allergy Anaphylaxis Emergency Care plan you see uh, there uh, is from this organization fair that is really focused on food allergies. Um, They have done a great job of uh, coming up with an individual, and you can download these. You'll be able to download these from our website, but you'll be able to uh, uh, you'll be able to see um, what could be filled out on an individual, a person uh, that can be um, uh, where this can be used. We're going to show a short clip on anaphylaxis to remind you what the process is and also let you know that you can use these videos in your teaching. We're we're hopeful that you'll be interested in using these videos for your teaching. Another critical area is life-threatening allergies to food, medicines, or insect bites. One in 20 people are at risk for this condition called anaphylaxis, whether they know it or not. One in four life-threatening allergic events at schools occurs in children whose families had no knowledge of their allergy and are not prepared. Not everyone carries or knows how to use an EpiPen. It is all about awareness, access, and use. Being aware of those who need EpiPens, access to them, and knowing how to use them when such an event occurs.
12: This will save lives. We don't normally think about bees or bites being potentially life-threatening conditions. But sometimes, severe allergic reactions can occur. What we really want to look for is if somebody's mouth is swelling, their tongue becomes swollen, or if they're having trouble breathing. This means that you need to seek medical attention rapidly.
13: I do want to highlight to everyone what happens during an anaphylactic reaction because there is a difference between just a a localized allergen or allergic reaction and true anaphylactic shock this word is key because your body literally goes into shock when you have one of these reactions now it can happen with foods medications it can also happen with insect stings with a bee sting for instance because what happens is when you're exposed to this allergen whichever one it may or may not be your body responds to it this allergen your body recognizes it as a foreign invader it attaches to these antibodies and what happens is these mast cells degranulate all this histamine now if that histamine is just local you might get a little local reaction you might get a little bit of hives on your skin but unfortunately what can happen when it comes to anaphylaxis is within minutes of exposure to an allergen food allergies for instance an anaphylactic reaction can occur where you get swelling of the mouth swelling of the tongue and lips called angioedema you can actually get constriction of your airways making breathing more difficult your airways may constrict but what happens is your blood vessels may dilate, and you'll have a systemic drop in your blood pressure. As all these things happen together, if you do not respond, you can die. And I'm not talking die in hours. I'm talking within 10 minutes, if proper treatment is not given, someone can die. Now, what we have, luckily, is something called an EpiPen. This can be truly life-saving. This staves off what we call circulatory collapse. I want everyone to look at this label very quickly closely. All you have to do is read. It's it's quite simple. You're going to pull off the, the safety release, okay? And then you want to put it into a bigger muscle. So the thigh tends to be a very good spot for that. And literally, you're just going to auto-inject into the thigh, hold it for 10 seconds, and then you're going to want to call 911 and get help. Because without this, and I have to ask the two of you. I'm assuming that your friends, you've taught your friends how to use this.
6: Yeah, most of my friends know how to use it.
13: Because what you're going to see is, if your friend, if it's, you know, if your friend has anaphylaxis, they're going to have potentially difficulty breathing. You're going to see potential swelling of the lips and tongue. But if they look in extremis like that, that model over there, that's time. That's yeah. when it's time to grab the EpiPen.
0: So uh, we really believe it's critically important that we get an update on this, and most of us are familiar with the EpiPen and how to use it. What we're not familiar with is the fact that many of the students and our young people are not carrying them with them. And I won't read each of our slides, but it's shocking to find out how many need a second dose, 16 to 36 percent. Almost a third of those at risk don't carry auto injectors, those that know that they're at risk. And then we've got another group that don't even know that they're at risk that haven't had an experience. 10% of auto injectors are expired. And in a a recent paper in the Journal of Allergy and, and Clinical Immunology, Um, 82% of respondents didn't carry two EpiPens thinking, well, they'd leave one at another location just in case. But now we know that, uh, that, and in this study, half needed a second dose. So the takeaway, you need to carry two. We need to have two at school, we need to have two in our emergency care kits, we need to have two uh, wherever we're going to have them, because uh, it's going to be critical and one out of three children had no EpiPen at school. So it's important to realize and then I think one of the most important things that we can do is be re- call 911 first immediately call 911 and call out does anyone have an EpiPen. The student may have one, but not two, and you may need two to save that child's life. And and finally, and we won't play the video which we've previously played, but we have two videos on drowning uh, at an interview of Nicole Hughes for our longer version on the website. You may watch it and hear how many drownings are occurring now with parents jumping in to save their children's lives and have a dual drowning, which is so sad. Also, the latest recommendations are We don't let kids get even beyond the the extent of our reach. We really need to realize that kids can drown in little puddles of water and uh, how critical it is to stay home safe. We're focused on a a Surf Safe, Surf Great program and teaching lifeguards as well on a a number of the key issues. And Randy, I'll come to you uh, uh, and uh, Chief Adcox, but as we look at drowning, reach, throw, row, go uh, are what we teach in scouts, which is reach the person, don't get in the water, throw something with a, a line first, If you have to then row out to them and finally, and lastly, you might go. And the drowning chain of survival, it's absolutely critical to follow these uh, principles. And we'll have this available for you on our website. But I think the really important thing as we look at this, it's a major cause of, uh, uh, of death in our families. And Randy, as we look at Drowning victims, and we look at children, rescue breaths are critical. So I guess my point that I want to to make here, uh, and I'll uh, stop sharing and come back to, uh, first you, Chief Adcox, with your um, recommendations regarding uh, law enforcement and why, as community leaders, you're so ideal to be teaching these things. And with master instructors like Dr. Boats teaching us how to be instructors, you don't have to be a doctor or a nurse to teach CPR. You can be a law enforcement officer officer. And then the other thing is, uh, Randy, you're a leader at uh, higher education. It turns out that the studies show that that the best instructors are not doctors or nurses, they're teachers. So teachers are actually more effective at teaching CPR. Study from Germany uh, demonstrated that. But uh, we'll come to you, Chief. Your message to law enforcement, your pitch to law enforcement officers and those in security uh, uh, about training each other, but maybe helping in the community so they're because they're so trusted.
14: Well, thank you very much, Dr. Denham. And, and this is so critical. Just just the to learn those techniques where you can save a fellow human being is very critical. Uh, law enforcement, we we have to go beyond stop the bleed. We think about those types of injuries. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that almost all the law enforcement agencies now of, of accreditation are those that are very progressive are carrying Narcan. Most of them are carrying at least two doses. As you know, the new uh, opiates, uh, the fentanyl, and so forth that are hitting the streets are just, I mean, wickedly strong, and they're taking the lives of so many thousands of our of our community members. So we carry those. We've we've had several saves here in the Texas Medical Center by our officers by administering Narcan. Um, you know, we've we've had many many saves with with uh, administering CPR. So being able to train our personnel on on all the different med tech uh, issues where where you can basically be involved with all eight of the uh, most common preventable uh, deaths is critical. And so I highly recommend it. In fact, I think we're a little bit we would be wrong in not pursuing this. And, and not only that, but spreading it. Get it to every bystander.
0: Get it out to everybody. Making sure that this is important to all of us. Thank you, Chief. I'm going to come back to you after we've after we cover uh, stop the bleed and the opioids as well. Uh, Randy, I'm going to put the slide back up regarding our CPR chart and, and the importance of. Uh, the importance of uh, rescue breaths and the fact that children are likely not to have enough oxygen in their blood uh, and will need rescue breaths because it's likely an electronic issue or a cardiomegaly, one of the things that we covered earlier, that's keeping stop their heart or a blow, a chest blow. Uh, and also um, the drowning victims need oxygen in the blood. They're, they passed out because they don't have oxygen in the blood, where old guys like me, uh, it, we're, it's more likely that I've got enough oxygen in the blood. I just don't have enough blood flowing through the uh, the arteries to the heart. But uh, Randy, as a, uh, you know, so, so you're an emergency director. You've written a best-selling book about rescue. Uh, you are a CPR instructor and a stop the bleed instructor. What are your tips and what's your call to action to us regarding, um, and I'm going to frame the question, uh, wouldn't you rather have people instruct BLS and learn BLS than just the basic CPR?
7: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, uh, another one of my hats is uh, I'm a post-certified um, first aid CPR instructor, so I, I train law enforcement officers. Um, on, on CPR and stop the bleed and, and basic rescue. Um, and that's, you know, the BLS um, portion of we equip our officers with the the BB bags and train them the two person rescue. They often work in teams. Of course, we train them on, on being able to do individual CPR as well, but we do equip them with the, that equipment and law enforcement, you know, should have that. They have a little higher level of, of training with regard to to cpr than you know your average person um so yeah that that higher level is knowing how to how to use that equipment not only for the safety aspect of it to yourself where i train people when i when i do my my cpr training whether it's to law enforcement or to to anybody who's doing it i'm giving a couple classes right now to some of our um our our biosafety lab folks, um, you know, I, I talk about that there are, are three you know the four, well really three truths that you have to integrate into yourself um, when you're doing this sort of bystander care. Um, you know, one of those is that the person is has you know are, is in a hazardous environment, and uh, you know you don't know why that person is down necessarily when you first walk in, and you have to be very careful because your safety is key to being able to 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 rescue somebody in that situation. Um but also I said tell people that the truth is this person has every communicable disease known to man. Um so you know we to sort of get people in that mindset that, you know, you really want to use that protective area. You want to give yourself every opportunity to not um, come in contact with the bodily fluids and 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 protect yourselves. Once again, you are the most important person in the room when you're giving that that care, and you have to protect yourself. Something happens to you, you're worthless to the to everybody else. So protect yourself. Um, and that that's so using those BB bags is definitely and being trained in those and understanding how they work and also having confidence. I'm going to interrupt
0: you real quick, because some of our people are, are faith based organizations, or schools, a BVM is a bag valve mask. Do you want to tell them what it is and yeah. why, why we think you need to learn it? And we've got scouts that are like 12, 13 that learn how to use it on the mannequins pretty easily.
7: It's a very uh, easy piece of equipment to use um, is basically a face mask. that goes over the person's nose and mouth and then has a uh, the attached to it is a, a large inflatable bag that you squeeze. And that gives enough volume to get a continual air into the body without you having to you know come in contact with the person directly. Um, you know, I always train people to use the small face masks. In uh, you know basic first aid classes, but in, in the more advanced, um, you know, w- using those bags just adds a, a, a level of safety um, that that is definitely good for you know those those types of of, uh, of events. Um, and you know, going back to the for the outstanding video you just showed, Chuck, about you know the 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 concepts behind you know what you're doing with CPR, and that's what I try to train. You know my my folks in is that you know not just the ABCs because there is a perfect world. This is how you do CPR, but we very rarely live in that perfect world. In a, in accidents or situations like that, there may be you know barriers to being able to do you know ABC, um, what you learn in CPR. So I really train people in in the the the, the concepts. What are you doing with that? That, that that defibrillator why are you putting it where it goes because we want to put that shark directly across that vagus nerve and and stimulate that part of the heart and because that's what creates the the the, the rhythm of the heart and that's why the, the 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 machine works that way I let people know that so that it's easier for them to you know, understand and remember what they're doing because when they're doing this bystander rescue when you're putting yourself out there to save another human being and keep them alive until these first responders show up it's it's a terrifying event and it's really easy to to forget you know oh wait a second what do i do first do i do chest compressors first do i do a airway first And, and forget that but if you teach people in the concepts what they're doing why does the Heimlich maneuver and back blows work. Why do we do back blows first before we do the Heimlich maneuver? Because that piece of whatever is stuck in the upper part of the respiratory system. So we want to knock it out first before we put somebody through the Heimlich. You know, if you train people in that way, it's so much easier to remember, um, you know, what you were trained when you're in this situation that is absolutely terrifying, um, where what you're going to do is you're going to have a, a you know, a life-saving impact on somebody. That's why uh,
0: I, I just put up, and now I'll put up, uh, we're going to move to opioids. And uh, a lot of people do not understand, and I'm glad you brought up this integration approach again, a lot of people don't realize that the, that the heart can be beating, but they're not breathing. And if they've had consumed something that stops the respiratory center, which we saw in the first video, uh, that uh, somebody is dying even though their heart may be beating, but they're not breathing and they're not exchanging oxygen. So as we look at now opioids, and we've had to update our content on opioids. And I'm just, as I go through the row very quickly, 293 deaths a day. uh, We had to change uh, just since last month in the last two months, we had to update our film, which I'll show you uh, from four counterfeit pills out of 10 that are seized by the DEA having a lethal dose of fentanyl to an adult to six out of 10. So you have a 60% chance buying on Snapchat an oxy pill by Snapchat, which is what the kids are doing. You have a six out of 10 chance of dying from that one pill, one pill could kill. Uh, THC overdoses are very serious. And we're bringing this up because we have young people on and we're gonna be teaching this in the schools. One of the leading causes of telephone calls to our poison centers right now, our poison centers right now are gummies that that have been eaten by uh, children, uh, which is, uh, which is just crazy, but this is, uh, this is one of the things that, uh, that, that we're, that we're finding is, is that our kids, uh, are finding these materials and they have no way of knowing, uh, that, uh, that, that is not,
4: uh, uh just candy. And I'll just show a short clip there. want to turn now to a CBS News investigation
5: into the spike in edible marijuana overdoses among children. That's right, gummies and other sweets containing a potent ingredient meant for adults are sending kids to emergency rooms in record numbers. Here's CBS's Jeff Pagase.
8: Last month, Elizabeth Barry felt helpless as it became clear something was very wrong with her 21-month-old son, Oliver.
1: When I laid him down in his crib, he kind of went rigid and started shaking and crying.
8: Within an hour, he was in the hospital and doctors determined that he had THC in his system, the chemical in marijuana that gives users a high. Oliver had managed to open this tin containing edible cannabis gummies that Elizabeth used to help her sleep. To him, it looked like candy. As a parent, what is going through your mind when you found out that he had eaten 15 gummies?
1: My first thought was, I did this to him. You know, this is my fault. The number of
8: children 12 and under who've ingested THC edibles at home jumped from 132 in 2016 to almost 2,500 last year. Those requiring medical care jumped astronomically too. Dr. Brian Schultz was part of the team at Children's National Hospital in Washington that treated Oliver.
9: If you're gonna use these substances, just realize that they look very attractive to kids they're oftentimes packaged in uh, tins or other packages that look very attractive to kids.
8: Oliver made a full recovery, he's back to his old self mom Elizabeth is not
1: what's terrifying is I know that if he found the gummies again, he would eat them again.
0: So uh, and and this uh, this uh, news article was actually uh, uh, not even this year. So when we look at the opioids, THC, and the overdoses from vaping, it's staggering. We've updated our video, and I'm just going to watch the time here today, so we get uh, allow our speakers to kind of respond. But on our longer version, we will show the entire opioid video, uh, which we showed in our last webinar last uh, last month, addressing this challenge. But this is uh, a absolute crisis proportions. Where I live in Orange County, California, we've had brothers and sisters dying that were that were graduate graduate at a graduation party, and they were not part of the drug culture. They just took one thing, one pill did kill. Uh, My pastor had to officiate a a dual funeral of a boyfriend-girlfriend here in Orange County. And actually older people, uh, not just kids, uh, if you look at the deaths from opioids, you look at our our workforce, 25 to 65, an enormous exploding number of uh, potential uh, uh, deaths there. So we're really looking at just a major challenge. So the DEA one pill could kill campaign was saying, saying 4 out of 10 pills were lethal and we had to change our videotape to 6 out of 10 pills are lethal. Um, in 2022, and this is the latest data, in 2022, more than 15 million fake pills laced with, uh, fe- uh, often laced with fentanyl were seized and enough to actually kill everybody in America. We're doing a film uh, with our young people called One Pill Did Kill to tell these stories. We will, what I'll do to allow uh, Chief Adcox and uh, Randy Steiner to uh, actually give us their tips on. Uh, on uh, emergency preparedness and law enforcement, and uh, Randy as both a CPR and a first aid and a stop the bleed instructor. We won't show that video. For the long version, it will be shown. Uh, uh, and for those of you that would like to have two hours of, uh, of uh, continuing education, you can submit your paperwork. Those that want 90 minutes, uh, will finish on time today. Uh, let's move to major trauma and bleeding. So major trauma and the major area of trauma is uh, bleeding, 14 deaths per hour from motor motor vehicle accidents, we uh, and from uh, major bleeding. Uh, The graphic you see uh, before you in the center of the screen actually was from uh, a report by International uh, Academy of Sciences and uh, one of our favorite leaders in the patient safety movement, Dr. Don Berwick chaired it. The the challenges that we face with uh, major trauma and bleeding and with the active shooter events have not dissipated, but our techniques have improved dramatically, which is really um, exciting uh, that we do have the Stop the Bleed program. So my pitch today, when we talk about head, heart, hands, voice, what do we want you to know? It is not that hard to become an instructor. Uh, anyone that is a DMT, a lifeguard, a first responder, even a part-time first responder at a church, uh, we've been able to help them get uh, certified as uh, as instructors. The website is easy to use. What I did was pulled off of, because I'm an instructor, um, pulled off of the instructor's uh, section uh, where the the latest slides, they're very simple, they're very straightforward. But I think we have some pretty good tips that uh, Randy and I and uh, Chief Adcox will share with you regarding teaching it for those of you that are Stop the Bleed instructors. And Randy, also, uh, uh, as we build our Stop the Bleed kits, we've been doing, we've built hundreds of them now. It's far less expensive to build them yourself. And I know, Randy, you're building hundreds of them for the University of California. But we're not gonna go through, our goal is not to teach you how to teach Stop the Bleed today, it's to challenge you to say, this is not that hard to learn. Lots of great videos. We have a ton of uh, resources that we can provide you, and the latest uh, uh, work has been really great. The other thing that I will share with you is that what I did, and I'm a physician and biomedical engineer, but I went to four other courses, and three of them were maybe not that great. I think they could have been much better, um, but the one that I took, Randy, at your institution at UCI with the trauma team was absolutely fabulous and we brought them out to our schools and uh, it really really turned out to be a a terrific experience. What I'm going to do before I go back to Chief Adcox and and Randy though is we want to cover concussions. We've added concussions and vaping to our program, and we didn't cover vaping today because of length, but in our deep dive on opioids, we're covering vaping and these unregulated substances that are harming our our young people and our adults, as well as concussions. And the key issue about concussions is that that things are changing pretty dramatically. And uh, uh, even as recent as the bowl games, uh that we that we've just had so what we will do today is just address the fact that those of you that are educators those of you that are coaches you're likely gonna see the protocols change. And the concept of back to play and the concept of uh, of uh, you, you just have a mild concussion and you can have two or three, but you can bounce right back is, is, is I think going to change. We think everyone should know about it. Everyone in ability should recognize concussion and understand it. Um, they should take the concussion course. I personally have taken the one that's offered in my son's school with the National Foundation for High Schools. It's excellent. And uh, they have neurologists kind of telling the story. So what we'll do is we'll show a short video on concussions and, and then go back to uh, uh, our leaders for reactions after we finish up with, uh, uh, with transportation and, and bullying. But we'll cover uh, this topic right now on concussions with the latest. And you'll see some football uh, action that happened as recently as this month. Concussions have been a major focus area in American football for years. However, even in 2022, we have a lot more to learn about traumatic head injury, whether in sports, motor vehicle accidents or falls.
6: This morning,
5: the NFL and Players Union agreeing to tighten the rules, dictating when a player must come out of the game after taking a hit to the head. With heavy pressure, they are bring sauce. The Bulls... On Sunday, Dolphins backup quarterback Teddy Bridgewater tackled on his very first snap of the game, the team pulling him out per the new concussion guidelines. Those guidelines in place because of this hit to Dolphins starting quarterback Tua Tugabailoa less than two weeks ago. Sacked, his head hitting the ground, his finger spread wide and frozen in front of his face.
2: That's a neurological response to head trauma.
5: Just four days earlier, taking this hit.
14: Oh, he's woozy.
5: Stumbling as he got up. The team saying it was a back injury, and that tug of iloa passed the concussion protocols, so he was set back in a few snaps later. An investigation finding while concussion protocols, as written at the time, were followed, the outcome is not what was intended when the protocols were drafted. The League and Players Association now agree: if a player has an abnormality of balance, stability, or motor coordination, or dysfunctional speech, he will be
0: prohibited from returning to the game. Even in the 2023 Cotton Bowl game between Tulane and USC, major head-to-head impact occurred. On the slant, caught, Deuce Watts, and a big hit. Afterwards, both of them are down. Although concussions are often associated with males and American football, they're occurring across all sports and genders.
6: I received the puck, I looked up, and I got hit. I was going up for the rebound.
4: Another one of my teammates was coming down from jumping and elbowed me in the head.
5: A concussion is a metabolic event in the brain and it changes your cognitive processing.
6: I have one concussion on file. Do I believe I probably had more? Yeah. I couldn't see straight and I fell over. <laughs> she kicked the ball and I immediately knew to turn around. If it hit me in the face it probably would have broken my nose. But I turned around and it hit me like right on the,
0: this, the pony. This
12: is a much more serious issue than we thought it was just a few years ago. we witnessed a rapid increase in uh, the participation of girls and women in exercise and sport. There's very little real solid information on the impact of concussions uh, and female athletes. The
0: sport of surfing grew tremendously during the COVID pandemic. So too did the awareness of concussions as a much more common injury than many realized. Whether a big wave surfer dealing with enormous wave forces and reefs or crowded surf breaks where collisions with other surfers in their boards is much more common, or even surfing smaller waves with beach breaks where surfers can catch a fin or hit a floor of sand that can be as solid as concrete, concussions are happening very frequently. Fellow surfers or lifeguards have to act within seconds as surfers with head injuries frequently drown. The motion picture concussion, based on the story told in the book League of Denial and the documentary of the same name, have helped us understand the long term consequences of concussions.
3: This is a game of awareness, it is a game of desire, that's why we have the three whistle drill. Let's go! When I blow this whistle three times, you seek out a teammate, any
13: teammate, you make collision, you beat physical, you beat violent. Bring it in here, let's
1: go!
13: Bring it <laughs> The only way
11: you're gonna get this player's hands off you you grab throw you, squeeze! You choke him until shit runs down his leg! Do you understand me? Oh, wow. <laughs> And Jack, get the guy.
4: Jack,
14: no.
11: human brain sits in a fluid completely disconnected from the human skull.
1: I'm really wondering where this stops. I'm really wondering if every single football player doesn't have this.
12: What is a concussion anyway? Well, it's sort of like your brain getting shocked with a stun gun. It doesn't cause any damage that you can see with the plain x-ray or even a, a CT scan of the head. But there's some changes that occur. Think of it like pulling a muscle. You've pulled your brain muscle. So people may say, I'm dizzy, I see spots, I have a headache, they may even vomit. When you have sort of those behavioral things that have occurred, you have to think concussion first. What are the five things you think about when you think about concussion? And whether it's a child or an adult, you need to recognize it. The second thing is that child or adult needs to be pulled out of that activity. The third thing is you need to get checked out. There's sideline tests. There are other maneuvers that you can do to figure out if somebody has really been concussed. And the fourth thing is monitor the resolution. So either sitting in an office, sitting on the sideline, quickly get it done. And then the last thing is seek medical attention. How do we treat a concussion if we're a family member or a close friend and we're trying to help a friend or family member out? You need to be that advocate for them and make sure that they have what they need. So you want to make sure that they are comfortable, they're not being agitated. There's really nothing that's gonna speed up the process. You need to just give it time and follow the recommendations of not only your doctor, but even the trainers who are well-versed in these types of things, and they can tell you when to get back on the field of play. Some of the top misconceptions about a concussion are, If you don't lose consciousness, you can get back in the game. If you don't lose consciousness, you can go back to the job site. If you get hit again with the same or even less of a pressure, your mind may take it even worse. The brain is primed to react more violently to that second hit. I think you need to understand that and make sure that you're out of that activity. Understand that doctors and healthcare workers are not trying to hurt you, and they're definitely going to keep you out of harm's way but they want to make sure that you are as stable and as healthy as possible to live a long and productive life.
0: In our longer version, we cover uh, head and neck injuries. And for time today, we'll, we'll uh, move from concussions, uh, address transportation accidents as well, uh, because so many of them actually... Uh, include uh, head injuries especially in our with our e-bikes and in our last webinar we showed a number of videos we won't show any today for time but we showed the distraction the impact of distraction on our teen drivers we showed um, the impact of the e-bikes and how a helmet can only protect you from a certain aspect of the head injuries But the the final topic uh, on on transportation today really is this this blind zone behind cars. We have 100 drive-over accidents uh, a week, uh, four deaths a week in drive-over accidents in the home driveway or in a school driveway. These are not motor vehicle accidents out on the highway or the street. Uh, 60% are are someone that the child knows um, uh, or a parent and the bye-bye syndrome is often used uh, where the kids want to say bye-bye or say hi, and the parents don't see them in the front or the back of the car. When we teach our MedTech program, we can hide anywhere between 10 and 16 kids behind an SUV. Um, even with a backup camera, you can hide quite a few of them. So we always say, before you turn the key, make make sure that you can see, and we cover those. Uh, distractions are key in our uh, in the in the younger age group, uh, and the e skateboards, uh, the e bikes. Uh, uh, we've got just exploding numbers in terms of uh, uh, people that are uh, harmed. And that's why, Randy, as we kind of talk about um, the issue, this issue and teaching this issue, uh, it's critical that people understand what to do at the scene of an accident when something like that happens. And You alluded to the concept of uh, scene safety. Um, However, let me just cover right now so we can come back for our discussion. Um, Our final topic is bullying. And uh, we have some graphics on the on the screen today. Social Dilemma is a, a, a film we highly recommend. It really is explaining why we have so many adolescents, especially young women, showing up in the emergency department with suicide attempt and depression. We have a short video we'll show after we get a reaction to what we just covered uh, uh, from uh, Randy and from Chief Adcox regarding this misinformation that's generated around the web, but also uh, that bullying and peer pressure is enormously, uh, is an enormous problem. And not only that, but we've got uh, we have something called the blackout game that has revived now on TikTok. Um, This was a, this was a, a, a way that kids would pass out and then revive themselves and get a little bit of a high f- from uh, doing so. Uh, and uh, now it's revived on cell phones and people are uploading videos of themselves passing out. And we've got uh, a number of tens and, and at last count, by one journalist, over 60 kids in the la- recently that have died attempting to black out and gone too far and accidentally died. And so, bullying is a, a key issue. However, uh, you know this can be a pretty depressing uh, sort of area. And um, uh, we we always show this video regarding bullying, and then I'll stop and uh, and get a reaction from our leaders in it, it. It it kind of uh,
4: I think makes a point by uh, by Burger King. scrawny, chubby, short,
6: queer.
1: Getting caught up in bullying, it's so easy, because you're just glad that you're not being bullied.
9: It's been hard for me to stand up for other people, because I feel like I'm already a target. It's just easier to do nothing.
10: Fine. Dude, ow. Fine.
6: Stop. Fine. Ow. Stop. stop. Do you have any friends? Yes, I heard you.
13: What are you even
10: doing here? It's almost <laughs> too easy. Ah, stop. <laughs> come on,
6: come on.
5: I get it.
10: Maybe you I are a little it, bit then. more. Oh. You think you're special?
8: One off Virginia Meal! I just open it up and it's all smashed. With- Did yeah. you order bullied or unbullied? bullied or unbullied? Yeah. Do you have a manager that I can speak to? Because that doesn't even make yeah. any sense. Right, Hi, how's it going? I was given this. Did you bully this burger? Well, yeah. This is a defenseless Whopper Jr. It can't defend itself. You
13: don't mean anything by it. It's just, it's for, laughs. just for laughs. Just give me my
9: burger, man. What the is going on here? <laughs> what? Are you, is there something wrong with you? Because that's clearly what happened.
8: Can't be serious. Had you seen me bullying this burger, would you have stood up and said something? Yeah. It's good to know.
6: Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah?
7: Okay?
12: What's your name? Uh, Reese. Hi, Reese. We're just having fun. you having fun? He's not having fun. So, therefore, I think you guys should just leave him alone.
4: See you later. This feels better to me. We've never been, like, messed with before. Oh, my God. I mean, like, the ideal world is where if somebody else sees, like, something weird <laughs> happening, that they'll come over and be like, hey, <laughs> this is not okay. Yeah.
10: To feel defenseless, that's that's the one of the worst things in the world.
0: Chelsea came, and... She would just tell them that it's not okay because it isn't.
10: Something I'll never
9: forget
12: is my friend standing up for me. I've been that kid, so if I see it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something about it. And I hope there's more people out there like that.
0: Uh, Chief Adcox, uh, your thoughts of uh, any, th- any highlights of what you would like us to focus on? Again, our audience, we're making the pitch to everybody and anybody to become a bystander care rescue trainer, and that families, teachers, coaches. Get in the game. This stuff is not that hard to learn, and especially if we have these visual assets that we're going to provide for them.
14: Well, we don't really have... We we take two days to go through just so much stuff that has to be talked about in terms of each one of these eight causes. Uh, But I do want to talk a little bit about the bullying because it seems like people say, well, that's kind of a different point. Well, it really isn't. And uh, particularly with our adolescents that do not have life skills, that don't understand things, and you saw in that clip how bad it was. I will tell you that I've had family members that, that, that are bullying as we speak, uh, but we've had, we've had some people even here in the Texas Medical Center in the last week. We've had one, one young lady, a medical student. She, she, she was completed a suicide off a parking garage. We've had another one that we were able to talk, talk out of it and, and get some help. And you just you just can't believe how many people are, are are suffering from issues that are just pure stress in their lives without any skills. So you you take it on top of that, and and whether or not there's bullying in those cases, I don't know. But I will tell you that bullying is very critical. That does add to it, and we need to all stand up and do something. So part of bystander care is not just learning CPR and how to administer an epipen or or Narcan or or, or apply an AED and so forth but it's really all about taking care of one another and intervening in, in these really unjust and, and and horrible situations such as bullying. The last thing I will tell you that bystander care is such that, you know, it's simple things that if you just placed your equipment where it belongs, if you had every AED within three minutes of drop to shock, you put your stop the bleed kits there, the beginning of the classroom, at the beginning of a football game, whatever it is, you had a you had a group come together and you used, you used the, the, the checklist that, that's available that says, "Okay, if something you know does happen, you're going to call 911. Here's the address. You need to know the address. You're going to call 911. And tell us what's going on. You're going to get to AED. You're going to do this. If we just planned a little bit in advance, working together as a team, I promise you, we're going to save a lot more, a lot more lives. And and it is it is so serious, and it's something we all need to do. So I recommend it. And, and thank you so much for doing the
0: webinar." Uh, uh, Dr. Denham, because it is critical. Thanks, Chief. And I'll come back to you if you just have a moment at the end. I'm going to show uh, the video regarding uh, our safety net and how stretched it is, and why our law enforcement officers. It's so important that we support them and and, and actually help them uh, with the bystander training. Uh, Randy, your thoughts, and then I'll uh, show that short clip, and then we'll let you guys react, and then we'll be done. Uh, first, I just want to
7: emphasize, to everybody, um, you know, the importance of it. of um, bystander care concept you know i always tell uh you know my students in cpr that you know it's you have the you know you're you're there to await the first responders but you're there before the first responders that makes you a primary responder you know you're you're keeping these people alive until those those you know professional responders can get there it's it's such an important role to play Um, you know Understanding that that intervention, and like like Chief Adcock said, with the with the bullying, uh, you know, having the courage to step up and do things, and to, to to take those 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 intervention steps, whether it's bullying or or a medical emergency or or a situation like that, um, you know, it 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 requires a bit of courage to move into that. But you know, I was a, a, a former Marine, and one of the things we always learned in the Marine Corps was to trust your training and to trust your equipment, Um, understand and know how it works, and become and remain familiar with it, understand that, you know, the the CPR class you took two years ago, or the Stop the Bleed class you took two years ago, it's a perishable skill. If you, you know, it may seem very easy at the time, um, and you get it when it goes, but then in a year and a half or so, you kind of forget, oh, well, where does the tourniquet go exactly, or, you know, "How how do I deal with an open wound, or, you know, things like that. So, you know, keeping yourself up to speed, there's, there's lots of resources out there, like Chuck mentioned, beyond just taking the first aid class, you know, the online training and the hands-on training. Um, you can go online and there's, there's lots of videos that sort of can review the, those procedures. Keep up to speed on this. And it, you know, it's, you never know when this situation is going to happen, it's never a, a foreseen thing. I guarantee you, ninety-nine uh, percent uh, of the bystander rescues out there were a absolute surprise and a shock to the people who had to go out there and actually help save these people's lives. Uh, you don't have time to pull out your phone and say, "Oh, wait a second, how do I do CPR again?" Or oh, "Wait a second, how do I do stop the bleed again?" You know, understanding that you know, the importance of the steps in the process, start the breathing, stop the bleeding, protect the wound, treat for shock in the, that order, and understanding why you do it that way. Um, you know, there, there, there's, there's lots of resources out there. There's, you know, webinars like this and other videos online on how to do that. I, I encourage people not only to take the step to get the training to become a bystander uh, rescue, you know, trained individual but then to to keep those skills up because you never know when that's going to happen
0: well thank you randy and i and uh we're going to finish on time or just a minute or two after what i'm going to do right now and uh, chief you and i are pretty passionate about the fact that our our safety net is really uh been at risk and have a short video addressing that uh, that issue and then we'll have you guys react and be done the healthcare safety systems that should be protecting our families businesses and communities are in crisis What is known as the public safety net is comprised of four elements, law enforcement, firefighters, emergency medical services, emergency departments at hospitals, and bystander rescue care by the public. The public health system is comprised of local health departments, state programs, and government agencies, such as the Center for Disease Control, the CDC. Extremists from one political poll have damaged the public safety net by driving harmful messages such as those supporting defunding police. And extremists from the other political poll have pushed anti-science messages that have damaged the public health education system as well, eroding public trust and stalling action. Misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation have created enormous gaps in our safety support systems, allowing many of our citizens to fall through to their peril. The Internet has been a huge blessing. Information is now instant, searchable, and permanent. However, inaccurate information can have a terrible impact on our public safety and our public health systems. Information disorder has been popularized by the nonprofit First Draft that originally joined the Shorenstein Center at Harvard and subsequently moved to Brown University. The concept described in an excellent article published by the Harvard University Kennedy Center addresses misinformation, disinformation and malinformation that can be differentiated by whether the information is false and whether there is an intent to harm.
10: If you were to dive into the dark web, you'd find a lot of information you couldn't find with, say, just a simple Google search. And a lot of what's down there is simply false information. In recent years, that false information has made its way to mainstream platforms. Now, a simple Google search will show you ideas, thoughts, and movements previously hidden away from the dark corners of the internet to protect yourself against what's false and harmful, you need to understand how that information comes to exist in the first place and how it comes across your social media feeds. Now, there are three different types of content as identified by First Draft. That is an organization fighting to bring you truth on what you read and watch. Disinformation, misinformation, and malinformation. Collectively, these three groups are known as information disorder. Let's start with the first. Disinformation is intentionally false. It's designed to cause harm. That's often backed by motivations to make money, to have political influence, or cause trouble just for the sake of it. The second, misinformation. That's also false content, but the person sharing it doesn't realize it's false or misleading. This is driven by socio psychological factors. These people want to feel connected to their tribe, whether that's the same political party, activists for climate change, or those that belong to a certain religion, race, or ethnic group. Finally, malinformation. This is genuine information shared with the intent to cause harm. An example is when Russian hackers hacked the Democratic National Committee and Hillary Clinton's campaigns and emails. They leak certain details just to damage reputations. So before you hit or share or retweet, stop and ask yourself how that information came to exist and whether it's at all credible. The reason for sharing
0: that is is that it's disinformation and malinformation and some misinformation that is shared that is driving our suicide rate in adolescents and especially adolescent girls. So when they look up in the menu items to reduce calories for meals, they're driven to bulimia sites and anorexia sites, and they're driven into self-harm sites purely to make money. And we we found, and the research is showing that that's a leading cause of the increase in females over men uh, of the social media. And we we see this we've seen this through the whole COVID crisis and that kind of thing. But chief, maybe react to the fact that help reinforce for us the fact that the safety net. We, 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 we've we got enormous gaps in terms of personnel so that what's happened over the last three years, for whatever reason, apolitically, but we, we, we have a lot of gaps in personnel, so that's why bystanders have to step up. And then the second piece is this misinformation that's really taking advantage of our young people. Uh, Chief, you first, and then you, Randy, and we're done.
14: Well, thank you. As far as the safety net goes, there's just like the uh, perfect storm. All these pieces and parts of the line you know everything from hiring practices 20 and 30 years ago uh, to to you know these tragedies that have happened the, the defund the police uh, etc. to to where you're looking at COVID and the impact of the epidemic uh, uh, the pandemic. Um, um, you you look at all these pieces and parts put together and you're you you do see the the net began to fray started having a lot of problems and it's still there. So right now we're kind of you know in a in a really bad place in terms of not really knowing. You know, we come out with things for the right reasons. We say we're gonna legalize certain substances. We really don't study what's the ultimate impact. And then also now we gotta come back and try to fix things. So uh, we're really in a place right now where where exactly what you talked about, the misinformation, malinformation, and disinformation just takes over. And it's having a very severe and a very negative impact. People, more people at home, more people are on social media, more people are paying attention to things. We've never, in my personal opinion, we've never been more polarized in many many respects. And uh, that's why I think bystander care is so critical because at least we'll, we need to come together for our fellow human being.
0: And the other thing, uh, I don't wanna belabor the point, but you've made the point that uh, that in some cities the the police are not responding to medical calls, which really drives why we need bystander rescue care. Is that because they're just so short and they're worried about liability?
14: I don't think the police agencies worry about the liability at all. I, the really issue is what's the staffing level and what calls can they can they get to. So you're you're taking a lot of your specialized units, you put them in, you're putting them out on the streets. You're trying to get to the to the different calls. And so yeah, the response times across the board. They just had a study come out a few days ago. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was in 47 cities that they studied. It. They're really the response times have gone way down, and they've gone down because you just there's 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 just not enough responders. But the good part is, is, that we are looking at alternative response models, like to people in the mental crisis, and those things seem to seem to be coming around pretty well, and not necessarily a police response. So yeah, well, we we have to kind of look at the silver lining on a few things. But yes, you're absolutely right. We are not able to get to the calls as quickly as we were in the past.
0: Great, great. So, Randy, last word. Thank you so much, Chief, and thank you for being such a great uh, threat safety scientist and helping lead the way for us. We really appreciate it. Randy, final word,
7: and then we'll go to uh, to Jenny, who will close for us. It's very very quickly. It's just, you know, with the, the, the challenges that exist in the safety method, you know, there's also the potential for the opportunities there and, you know, for people to you know, particularly young people to look at the field, such as law enforcement and first responder uh, type jobs, um, you know, as a career potential choice. But, you know, the, 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 the probably the biggest challenge is, is the, the, the dilemma of social media and the misinformation that's there and that so many people, especially younger people, you know, their, their lives are just uh, revolve around, you know, what's happening and that screen in front of them. And it's so easy to get sucked into that, to get sucked into the mis- misinformation and go down the rabbit holes and get stuck in the echo chambers and all those other uh, euphemisms that deal with, you know, the, 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 the harm that social media can cause. Um, there's misinformation out there. There's people who are gonna take advantage of other people. There's people who are gonna take advantage of the fact that there's no accountability behind the username that they put out there and they'd say and do whatever they want online um the voices of reason whatever those are have to be louder and we have to always you know give our our young people you know the the knowledge that there's opportunities outside what happened the real world is out there it's away from that screen and you know that's where the importance of bystander rescue comes in that's where the importance of of people being trained in these these issues to to bolster up the public safety net um you know that's where that happens and you know continually encourage these people to go out and and, and get out in the world and 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 you know see things from beyond the echo chamber of the of the the internet um, we just they're loud but we the we just have to be louder
0: well, thank you, Andy. I really appreciate it. We thank you for your steadfast support uh, and what you're doing at UCI to lead the way and maybe become one of our leading and safest uh, universities, along with uh, where Chief is at University of Texas. We really appreciate it. So we'll close now uh, with, um, uh, with uh, uh, Jenny Dingman, again, our patient advocate and the voice of the patient.
1: I'd like to thank everybody for being here today. There was so much great information, life-saving information. I encourage each and every one of you to please invite your friends, neighbors, colleagues, and family members to come to the next webinar or listen to our recording. Looking forward to next month's program, and thank you all for coming, and God bless.
0: So we want to thank all of you for joining us uh, today. Um, As always, we like to say that we want to fight the good fight. Uh, We want to finish the race and we want to keep the faith um, because everyone um, is a patient and everyone can be a caregiver. And we thank you all and we'll see you next month.